Wise Up. That's one of our great, it's probably one of our very best Ulster sayings. I don't know, do people use it beyond Ulster? Not, not very much. I think we definitely are the main users of Wise Up in, in the world, certainly among the nations that I've got to meet. I was Skyping with David McCullough on Thursday, and um, in the middle of our conversation, he, he dropped in a wee Wise Up. Um, he said, Christoph, you're going to tell me to Wise Up, but uh, there it was. I heard it loads when I was growing up. Wise Up, wee lad. I was growing up in County Armagh in the 1970s. Not a very politically correct environment. Uh, People didn't appreciate that that may not be the best way to encourage uh, wee boys uh, growing up. It's probably a good thing, actually, for me that I did hear it, because I needed to hear it um, more than once in a while. As I say, we're not likely to say that to our kids these days in 2015, East Belfast. Certainly not people the likes of whom come to Kirkpatrick Memorial on a regular basis. But I think it would be a shame to lose the sentiment altogether. Think about it for a second. If I'm acting foolishly and a parent or an older person or simply a wiser peer is willing to come alongside me and invite me to stop acting foolishly and to start acting wisely. When you think of it in those terms, it's actually quite a winsome invitation. Wise up. Folks, we're no less in need of wisdom today than we've ever been in the past. It seems to me, actually, that the opposite is true. You might just need to be wiser than ever to make your way in the modern world in which we live. The poet T.S. Eliot was warning us about this as far back as 1934. Where is the life we've lost in the living? Where's the wisdom we've lost in the knowledge? Where's the knowledge we've lost in the information? 1934, he wasn't swamped with knowledge and information, anything like the way you and I are, but already he wondered if wisdom was starting to be in short supply. Folks, we have more knowledge than we've ever had before. Even our phones are smart. But are we getting any wiser? Are we better able to live well in the world that God's created? Are we able to live peaceably with the people around us? I'd suggest that most of us struggle with that. We do need wisdom. Maybe we need somebody to come alongside us and lovingly to say, wise up. And if we entered into it with the right spirit, that might feel like a blessing rather than a curse. Thankfully, somebody has done all of this for us. God has. And he offers us wisdom in his word by his spirit. And he does it uniquely through the book of Proverbs. In his commentary, Ray Ortland describes the book of Proverbs as practical help from God for weak people like us 
stumbling through daily life. It's his counsel for the perplexed, his strength for the defeated, his warning to the proud, and his mercy for the broken. The book of Proverbs, says Ortland, is the gospel. Good news for the inept through the wisdom of another. We have every reason to receive it with a whole heart. Folks, the truth is, each one of us is on a journey, and we're all going somewhere. But the destination isn't just a place, it's a person. We're becoming the end of our journey. Every moment, every step along the way, you and I are becoming more and more the people that our journey is making us. And God cares about that. He cares about the kind of a a journey that you and I take. And we see that care made up, uh, demonstrated even in the makeup of the whole Bible. I'm going to show you a a series of slides that we've put together this week. And we're going to get into the habit of using these any time we introduce a new Bible series to show you how one part of the Bible fits into the whole. So if we show... First of all, this is the whole Old Testament. Don't, don't worry, that, or the whole Bible. Don't worry that you can't read all of these, but those are all the books of the Bible. And their, their relative size shows that some of them are, are bigger books, have more content than others. So the pale blue stuff there on the left-hand side is what we call the law. So that's the very beginning of the Bible. In the Old Testament, the red stuff then we call history, the history books. Those two together, there's a way of talking about those where you call those the law. And then if we fire on to the the slide where the yellow books are, where they were called, those are the major prophets. And then to the right of those at the end of the New Testament are the minor prophets. Those two together then become the prophets. So what you had in the Old Testament was God talking to his people in three ways. He talked to his people through the law. He talked to his people, and that's the the pale blue and the red books that we've seen. He Then he had his people spoken to through the prophets. That's the yellow and the gold. Those are the wisdom books. Or sorry, that's the prophets. And that leaves a third section, the green stuff in the middle. And that's where our focus is just now. These are called the wisdom books. So they record for us the wisdom of wise men, wise teachers. And before we even start this series in Proverbs, I want to ask you a question. Why would we have wisdom books in the Bible? Think about it for a second. The law and the prophets they tend to deal with the gigantic truths about God. So those books of Genesis, Exodus, and so on, and then the story of Israel recorded in the history books, the law, that tells us the story of God's people. It's a huge story, one that we need to acquaint ourselves with, and we try to here in church. The prophets are the guys who call us back and say, do you remember that story? Well, here's how you've wandered from it. Let's come back. So that's the main role of the prophets. But again, it's related to that big story. So a good part of the Old Testament has to do with the massive questions of life. 
God creating us, us having a fall, God redeeming us, what's God preparing us for in the future? The big, big questions. But we need more than that. Because life's not only about huge questions. Life is about the nitty-gritty of everyday life, things that aren't picked up in the law, things that the prophets don't pay much attention to, but which are really important if you want to live well. God knows that. So he gives us not just the law and the prophets, but also the wisdom books. So here's an example from Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 14. Here's, here's the kind of thing that we're going to get to eventually in Proverbs. Some of it's really good crack. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. I know this. This happens in our house every day. Because I'm up before our kids, and I go into their room and loudly bless them to begin the day. And they receive that every day as a curse. So if I was a bit better with Proverbs, I'd start to say to myself, oh, actually, do you know what? Maybe you shouldn't bless them quite so loudly and quite so, maybe there's a better way. So Proverbs is going to teach us some very everyday stuff about how to get through life. Now, just before we go any further, I need to warn you, it's, it's not all going to be small fry or trivial like, like that one. Who knows? It might be that God will use Proverbs to turn your life upside down like he did mine. The summer of 1997, I was just preparing to go off to live in Vancouver to study theology there for three years. I was at my home church in Bangor and they had a preaching series not unlike this one that, they, that we have now. I shouldn't admit this, but hey, I don't remember anything about that series, okay? Um, I know that it was about Proverbs. I remember one phrase out of one of the sermons, that's all. So this particular sermon, I think the title was Success with the Opposite Sex. Now, I was quite interested in that as a guy in my young 20s. I thought that might be worth listening to and paying attention to. So the preacher was giving us advice from the book of Proverbs about what we should look for in the opposite sex, that boyfriend or girlfriend, that husband or wife. And I don't, as I say, I don't remember the whole sermon by any means, but I remember one phrase, and it's stuck with me ever since. He said, go for quality. Whenever you're considering spending the rest of your life with a woman or a man, go for quality. Now, in the preceding few weeks, I'd started dating a beautiful young woman called Claire Thompson. And I remember hearing this sermon and going home and thinking about it and thinking, Flip, I have never met a person whose qualities have uh, been as evident to me as Claire Thompson. I wonder, I wonder should I, and I thought, yes, I will. I will. I'll ask her. I'll see if she'll be my girlfriend. And who knows, maybe someday I'll be able to fool her into being my wife. Go for quality. 
Advice from the book of Proverbs. Folks, I can't promise you an outcome like that, okay? I'm not sure where this series will take us. I'm making the point that we need God's wisdom to live our lives. As well as needing help for who we, to think about who we should date or marry, we need to think about what kind of work we should do and how we do it. How should I spend my money? What am I going to do with this finite amount of time that God's given me? How can I endure this suffering that I'm living through that I can't escape? Through the book of Proverbs, God comes to us and he, he coaches us. He gives us the wisdom that we need to live our, our complicated everyday lives. This book of Proverbs is a gospel book. It has to be. It's part of the Bible. The whole of the Bible is gospel. And how is it a gospel book? Well, think about it for a second. This is good news for bad people. It's grace for sinners. It's hope for failures. And it's wisdom for idiots. That's good news. If we're willing to hear it and to receive it. God's invitation to you and to me to wise up. Folks, this book is about Jesus coming to us as our counselor, our expert, our life coach. Ray Ortland puts it like this. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ is a competent thinker for all times and all cultures. He's a genius. I remember the first time I heard Jesus spoken about in those terms, and it It was weird. It was new to me. I remember Dallas Willard teaching us, and he was saying, who's the smartest person who ever lived? Let us think about it for a second. And he said, if you're even considering any other person, living or dead, than Jesus Christ, you've misunderstood Jesus Christ, God's wisdom among us. This is the good news. Jesus Christ comes to us and he offers us his wisdom. Uh, flick with me for a second, Matthew 7 there. Look, notice again how he ends that Sermon on the Mount. It's page 972. You'll know the parable. The parable about the, the man building on rock and the man building on sand. But what's the point of the parable? The point of the parable is... If you listen to me, you're wise, and if you don't, you're an idiot. That's it. Jesus Christ comes and he offers us his wisdom. If I'm not receiving that wisdom, I'm an idiot. I wonder if we got that. Let's not patronize Jesus Christ as the nice guy who loved us, gave his life for us, and leave it at that, while we scurry off to other people and other authorities to teach us how to live life. Let's not do that. Let's say that the same Jesus Christ who loved us sacrificially, gave himself for us, gave us new life, is also the person best equipped to teach us how to live that life. Whether it's in his Gospels, whether it's in the rest of his revelation in his word. 
This is a gospel book. Draws us closer to God's wisdom in Jesus Christ. Why should I read Proverbs, you might ask? Well, I'd say we should read Proverbs because it's a matter of life and death. And the reason I say that is because uh, the writer of Proverbs says it. In Proverbs 13, verse 14, we're told that the teaching of the wise is the fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Just think about it for a second, what a life without wisdom looks like. Even if you had all the other qualities. If, if we love people but we're not wise, isn't it true that we can harm them with the best of intentions? You've maybe seen that. You try your best, but... If, if we have courage but we're not wise, we'll blunder our way through endless, a catalog of car crashes. We're courageous, but we're not wise. If we have God's truth, but no wisdom in how we present it, we'll take something as beautiful as the gospel and we'll make it ugly for people who who see us. If we have technology, but not wisdom, we'll use the best communications the world's ever known to transmit rubbish. We need Jesus to rescue us from our information, even from our knowledge, and to draw us into his wisdom. We need Jesus to counsel us in a new but ancient wisdom that comes from him. And then we can live and not die. That's why we need to read Proverbs. I'm nearly out of time, but I want to spend the last couple of moments Um, in this introductory sermon in Proverbs, asking one last question. Who who is this for? Who could benefit from reading the book of Proverbs? Well, the book of Proverbs uses a certain Hebrew word to describe us all before we come to God for wisdom. Okay, Before we do that, there's a, a way in which we're described, and it's the Hebrew word pati, It's used 14 times in the book, and it's already in our passage right there in chapter 1. See in chapter 1, verse 4, the word behind the English word simple is the Hebrew word pati. So the writer of Proverbs says that before we come to God for wisdom, we're simple. We don't like that, do we? None of us likes to be told that we're simple, we're naive, we're ignorant. Truth is, we probably need to get over ourselves. We need to be glad that the Bible is more honest about who we are and what we need than a lot of the people around us. The Bible says we're simple. And it sets the bar low We're in Egypt, like me, or like you, gets to hear the invitation and gets to come and to become wiser, to wise up. I'll never forget my early months at, or the early years, really, of my grammar school career at Regent House in Newton Ards. 
Um, I'd gone through first form and had dramatically underachieved. Um, I was probably heading downhill from a bad first year at the start of second year. Until one day, I think it was just after the Halloween holidays, uh, a letter arrived through the door from the school um, explaining to my parents about how dramatically I'd been underachieving and explaining that I was now going on the report card system. The report card system meant that you had to hand in your card at the end of every class and the teacher would give you two marks for, I think it was behavior and application, something like that. Now, to give you some insight into what kind of problems I was having as a 12 and 13 year old, that by the time our class disbanded, after three years, I still held a record for the worst report card. I, I just couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't focus and give the teachers what they were looking for in the way they were looking for it, so I always got bad marks. So they put me on this report card. What they were saying is, Christoph, you're a petit. You're, you're not doing it. You could be more than you are. You're underachieving dramatically. And do you know what? We, we care enough about the outcome that we're going to tell you that. We're not going to say, oh, it's all right. Muddle your way through. We're going to hold up the warning, give you a chance. And I was fortunate for me, it worked. By December, when the Christmas exam marks came out, I was top of the class in 7 out of 12 subjects after bombing my way through the first year and a half. Somebody had been kind enough to warn me, to tell me to wise up. This wee Hebrew word, pati, it literally means to be open. A pati, a fool, keeps their options open. They don't commit. This person's uncommitted, uncommitted to God. Why would a person be uncommitted to God? Well, it's because we think we don't need him. It's because we think we're all right as we are. The great Welsh preacher of the last century, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he warned us about this lack of commitment. He says, you'll never make yourself feel that you're a sinner because there's a mechanism as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We're, I love this line. He says, we're all on very good terms with ourselves. We can always put up a good case for ourselves. Even if we make ourselves try to feel that we're sinners, we'll never do it. There's only one way to know that we're sinners, and that is to have some dim, glimmering conception of God. I think Lloyd-Jones is spot on here. Until we come alive in God, we're cool and we're uncommitted we stand aloof and we laugh at everything. But that's foolish. I think we sometimes imagine that we have, you know, a, a devilish nature sitting on one shoulder trying to lead us astray 
and then an angelic nature on the other shoulder uh, trying to keep us on the right track and these two are having some sort of a ding-dong. Folks, we have no angel. All we have is a devilish character trying to persuade us that we're angels, that we're angelic. And we like to believe that. We're naive about ourselves and it's why we hate to be challenged. We hate that moment when somebody comes and says, you're behaving like a fool. We need Jesus to save us from our arrogant idea that we don't need to be saved. Folks, as we launch into Proverbs this summer, let's humble ourselves. Step one. Let's get excited about the truth that Jesus Christ, the wisest and most loving person who ever lived, promises us his wisdom. You see, we're born proud and defensive. That's why we're, we find ourselves negative, whiny, suspicious, unsatisfiable. Even when we say we're believers, we continue to live this way. You see, you can only live two ways in life in the end. You can live man-centered or God-centered. Either God's at the center and everything is rightly focused on him. Or else we make ourselves the center. And we try to make everything orbit around us. So long as we keep trying to live with ourselves at the center, we squander our chance of life. But then there's the gospel. Then there's this good news that there's a new birth by grace into repentance and freedom. And we've not just a savior, but we also have a wonderful counselor. One who loves us better than we love ourselves. One who can coach us through life. He invites us to wise up to get out of the center of our universe, let him have his rightful place. And when we do that, we start to become wise. And we start to really live. Let's pray. Father God, we don't really like to dwell on the idea that we might be somewhat foolish or really quite foolish. Uh, We like to think of ourselves as wise. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to tell us how it is. Lord, help us to see that we do lack wisdom, every one of us. There's a lot that we could learn, a lot of ways in which we could grow. Help us not to fear that, but help us to recognize that when we're in an environment of grace, as we always are with you, then our weaknesses become an opportunity for your strength to work in us. Lord, we pray that today 
You would be our strength and our song. You'd become our salvation. And Lord, that you'd be our wisdom. That you'd make us wise. Lord, help us to be open to that today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.